If you're a dog owner, safety and welfare for your pet are of the utmost concern. But there are so many so-called experts out there that many of us don't know where to turn to get the expert advice that we need. Welcome to Taming the Wild in Your Dog with noted dog expert and author Brian Bailey. In this program, we give you the tips you need to connect with your best friend with the most practical advice. Now, here's your host, Brian Bailey. Welcome everyone to Taming the Wild in Your Dog and today's episode is Innocent Until Proven Off-Leash. Pretty pretty slick, huh? Yes. Yes. I worked on that a little bit. Okay, so here's a scenario here. I'm walking my dog on a leash in a public park where the rules are all dogs must be on leash. And suddenly I'm attacked, and my dog is attacked, by three dogs off leash. My dog kills one of the dogs attacking it. You cry foul. You blame me. I blame you because your dogs weren't on leash. So who is to blame? You know, this incident occurred uh, in just south, uh, southeast of Melbourne back on earlier this month on November the 5th. Uh, and there was a mother and her four-year-old child were walking their dog, Hero. And Hero is a, described as a miniature staffy. Now, I don't know if I've ever m- met a miniature staffy. There's so many staffies and miniature bullies and full standard size. <laughs> he looked pretty big though. He did look big in, yeah. in the pictures. They did show a picture and he didn't look too miniature. They just must yeah. grow big down in Australia. They must. But either way, uh, they're walking their dog Hero, the miniature staffy, in a public park that requires dogs to be on leash. When suddenly they were attacked by three dogs that had escaped from their yard. One was a lab and two dachshunds. Uh, the mother initially tried to run the dogs off while shielding her son behind her, but the attacks escalated. The larger lab was barking aggressively, lunging at her staffy. Uh, she tried to get her son behind her to keep him safe and try to pull her dog away from the attackers at the same time. But all the attempts failed and the attack escalated. So the mother being a mother, let go of the leash of her dog and put her child on top of a picnic bench and then screamed for help. And then finally, one of the, uh, the owners of the three attacking dogs came running, the husband and wife. But by the time they arrived, Hero had mauled one of the dachshunds, Coco, to death. Now, owners of the dead dog cried foul and reported the attack to police and the city council, asking that Hero be euthanized. And after a thorough investigation by the council and the police into the incident, they found that the owner of Hero was not responsible for the tragic outcome, and subsequently, Hero would not be euthanized. Now, so what do you think on that? Uh, Anybody out there that's... um, happen to be tuned in on Facebook Live now while we're running this, send your comments in. Let us know what you think there. Of course, me, I'm looking at the situation. I've been preaching to people for years and years that, because we get asked that. I don't think uh, even a couple weeks go by that I'm not asked about that particular scenario. Brian, what do I do if I'm walking my dog on leash, but it's attacked by a dog that is off leash? And then I always tell that story of you and I, Kira, when we were doing two, training with two dogs. And we had, uh, there was a quiche hound. His name was. Um, uh, uh, we called him the hairy pig. Yeah, his name, we call him the hairy pig. <laughs> Casey, just, Casey. Casey, Casey the hairy pig. And I'm telling you what, the reason why we call him the hairy pig is A, he was hairy, but B, anything you do, did to him. I don't care if you even tried to give him a treat at the wrong angle, he squealed. He, had, he was the most vocal dog I've ever mm-hmm. been around in my life. And therefore, I, I would never have imagined that he would have done what he did. But we were training. We're in a neighborhood um, just by our house. 
And Kira was walking a Labrador, a, a yellow lab at that time, working her dog, when we were suddenly attacked by two very large pit bulls. And the one that attacked Casey had a very bad day because Casey suddenly lunged into that leash and it was just roar, 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 roar. And I'm going, oh my gosh, way to go, Harry Pitt. You just go, brother. You just go. Woo. And that pit bull immediately just backed up and like, what the heck is that? Anyone ever see a Keyshawn go off on you? Man, it is a scary thing. So I'm just admiring it and rooting him on saying, you just go, man. This is awesome. I, I tell you what, I, don't, I stand zero chance of being bitten by this pit bull today. When suddenly I hear Kira in the background and Kira's got the direct opposite happening. Her dog is at the end of the leash. The other side of her, she's basically shielding it. It's lying on its back. It already said, uncle, it hadn't been bitten yet. It was already saying, uncle, I'm done. Just kill me now. And Kira's holding on to that dog and trying to fight off the pit bull with her foot. Uh, so, yeah, we've lived. I've been that that scenario many times, many times. And people ask, wow, what did you do? Yeah. And fortunately for me, I had a hold of the hairy pig and my day was <laughs> saved. I was just a spectator from that point on, but it, it can be very dangerous, very dangerous situation. Yeah. And you always have to take into consideration the risk that you have uh, to take. I mean, like the scenario in Australia, she had her son with her. So it's, it's much scarier when you have those types of risks at play. I mean, I don't, I hardly ever walk my dogs without my son with me. A lot of the times he's in some sort of buggy or, or, contained on a, a trailer behind my bike or something. But for the most part, I, I have to make sure that I take safety precautions to de-escalate the situation before I'm, you know, having to let go of my dog and then run away with my child. I mean, that's why, I mean, a lot of people kind of flinch when I say this, but that's why I carry bear spray with me or, you know, I, that's my walking stick, but I call it my whacking stick. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, you, you got to stay safe. You know, so regardless of the blame, again, if, if we go even back to the blame, who was to blame? Who was right? Who was wrong? Well, when you read the entire story, it's just tragic. It really is. The owners of the three dogs did not mean for this to happen. It was an accident. The father of the owner of the dogs accidentally left the gate unlatched. And I tell this to people all the time when it comes to dog attacks to humans. Uh, when you own a dangerous dog, it's only a matter of time. Uh, the gate will be unlatched. The dog will slip out of the harness. The leash will be jerked out of your hands. It, there's so many things that can go wrong. And on that particular day, at that particular time, again, you, know, you always think about that. You see these little commercials, uh, we call them trophic cascades, in which uh, a leaf falls out of a tree in the Amazon, lands in a dugout canoe, and next thing you know, it's affecting stock prices in Chicago. Uh, it's just these things do happen. Had this mother and this child walked by that house, which was adjacent to the park, 10 minutes earlier. Five minutes later, who knows? This would have never occurred. But as luck had it, uh, the gate was left ajar. The dogs saw the mother and the other dog and attacked. And a lot of people have asked, why did they attack? Why would a little dog, two little dogs, attack a much larger dog? So there's really two questions there. One, why would the attack occur even to begin with? Uh, I tell people constantly that dogs don't know your deed line. They, they don't know the property lines. Where does your, your property end? Where does it start? If you walk them, if they're anywhere near a public space, uh, like us, we live right across the street from a very busy park. And the first thing our male dogs want to do as soon as we take them for a walk 
is again, raised leg urination. They want to leave their business card on every cent that's there. Every dog that has, has peed in front of them, they're going to put their business card on top of their business card. So territories expand and they, they definitely expand a lot more rapidly for dogs than they do for wolves. Wolves will only own a territory large enough to be economically defensible. Uh, dogs, however, because we feed them, hey, why own a 7-Eleven when you can own a super Walmart? I mean, you can just, uh, they want expansion and they will do that. And they're used to uh, encountering people and other dogs in what we call extraterritorial forays. So it's not unusual to have a house near a public setting. And when your dogs get loose, well, they're basically to them, they are in their yard. It is their yard. Uh, so the pursuit occurred. It's not like the lady was jogging with the dog. She had a four-year-old son with her. She was walking and they attacked. And the only reason why I can even begin to think the attack occurred was that they had had lots and lots of success behind this gate. People walk by, they charge the gate, rah, rah, rah. People keep going. They keep going. So of course the dogs go, yeah, that worked. I have to remember that next time a passerby comes by with a dog, let's just give it all we've got here and we'll make them go away until the one day that the gate is left ajar. And now all of a sudden they have unfettered access and now they're going to physically drive this dog away. Uh, and a small dog is going to join in. That, that's the issue here. You know, when you are a two-year-old wolf, then you are within a, just an inch or two and a few pounds of the largest wolf in that pack. In other words, there are no adult miniature wolves. They don't have to deal with that. They, it's like a Rottweiler that looks down at a Chihuahua and says, hey, uh, are you a puppy or what are you? They don't have that sort of a misperception or the confusion that occurs when, wow, you're small and my instinct tells me you should be a pup or a cub, but man, you don't act like one. So again, we've set dogs up for this and, and then it goes in reverse. The small dog doesn't realize it's small. That happens at our house all the time. When somebody rings the doorbell, I swear Poe is the first one to hit that glass at the front door. And Poe is a five pound Morky. And we also call her the mouth of the South. Uh, that's another thing. The smaller the dog, the bigger the mouth. I kid you not. Anyone knows, anyone listening to this, uh, they know it. If you have a small dog, it's as though they have to announce to the whole wide world, I'm here. Just so you know, I, I, I may not look like a dog, but I am a dog. And I'm going to let you know it here. I am a dog. So it's not unusual for even a small dog to attack a large dog. It happens all the time. That's why at dog parks, dog daycares, you have to be very careful about mixing small dogs with large dogs. They don't think for a second that they can't handle the situation. So, of course, uh, the two little dogs, the two dachshunds join in with the big lab. Uh, from a scientific level, we call that indirect reciprocity. It is the same uh, uh, scenario in which you have a flock of larks. They are flying, and a hawk swoops in to attack one of the larks, and all of a sudden is chased off by about a dozen or more of the larks. This happens. Uh, it happens in pack animals, happens in flock animals, happens in uh, dolphin pods, schools, you name it, any sort of social grouping, we tend as a group to do the attacking. We only do it by ourselves if there's no other social support, no other support behind the attack. So it happened. And unfortunately, it was like bringing a knife to a gunfight. Uh, Dachshund and a 
big pit bull. I'm going to, if I had to put my money on who's going to win that one, it's going to be the pit bull. And it just is. It's just law of gross tonnage. Big, powerful animal designed to grab and not let go. And that's exactly what happened. Hero grabbed. He did not let go. And by not letting go, he basically killed the other dog. Very tragic. Very tragic. So again, I, I definitely side with the mother and the four-year-old. I think that the city council arrived at the correct conclusion here. It is sad, but it was the right decision. And you just can't hold her liable if she's walking her dog on leash unless there is a, and you mentioned that, Kira, before yeah. the show, there is one case in which that owner... I would find them liable, even though they had their dog on a leash. We'll talk a little bit about that, Karen. We don't even know if that is the case or not. But if her dog, if she knew that her dog was vicious in any way, she shouldn't have been walking it on leash or not in a public place. Yeah. You know, if there was a proven history that this dog had attacked other dogs, if this dog had attacked a human. We did a radio, radio show episode uh, probably about eight or so back in which we talked about being out in the public, the responsibility that you have to keep me safe and my dog safe and my children safe from your dog. So if this dog had a, a history of attacking, then you had no business being out in the public realm with your dog, whether it's on a leash or not. And I, I kind of look at, from, look at it from two perspectives because let's say the dog did have a vicious past. Um, both parties would still be responsible in, in this scenario. So just if, if, if that dog had been vicious in the past, yes, she's at fault for having the dog out and about, but that doesn't take any blame away from the, the owners who let their dogs loose, you know, understanding that it is an act. It was an accident. And again, accidents, you do have to be liable for your accidents. Yeah. Um, and we definitely interviewed a personal injury attorney and, mm -hmm. and we'll have to reveal some of the answers to some of the questions that we dug into and were revealed to us because I was absolutely surprised on some of those answers that we received back. We'll add those to a future radio show here. Okay, but what to do if you get caught in that scenario? Number one, I've always preached, if your dog is on leash and the other dog is off leash, there is no advantage whatsoever to keeping your dog on a leash. A, if anything, now the dog does not have the flight option. Maybe your dog is faster. Maybe it can get away. Uh, maybe it can do circles and tire the other dog out. I actually saw this occur. The dog just simply did laps, circles around the owner, and the other dog just got too tired, just gave it up. Uh, but keeping your dog on a leash, it puts it at a horrible disadvantage. And because it realizes it's in that horrible disadvantage, it is now going to fight back even harder. And now it's going to really escalate where it, it may have quickly just rolled on its back, said, uncle, I don't know who you are, but I'm no threat to you. And you can own the whole darn park for all I care. But because it is on a leash and the humans are screaming, kicking, yelling, doing all that they can to stop the attack, it just escalates out of control. And then the stress response of both animals goes right through the roof to that past that point that set point in which you no longer realize even what's going on. You are now on what we call procedural memory. You have blacked out. You're on autopilot. You're immune to anything that is stop it, let go, drop it, get out of here, run, stop it, you know, whatever, out. It, it doesn't work. And to add to that, once you get past a certain point, you can go into what's called self-induced analgesia. 
And this is where you see the lion rip the guts out of a gazelle, but the gazelle still fights the lion back and then runs off for 30, 40 miles before it drops dead. It didn't realize its guts were hanging out. Uh, so now the dog doesn't feel pain, so it doesn't say uncle. It's just bad. So me, I've always advised, hey, and I don't want to get sucked into the whole thing either. I've seen too many dog owners with their, they put their hands to that little loop at the end of the leash. I just call that the loop of death. I hate those things. I can't stand them. I always advise never put your hand through that loop because you just became part of the dog. And if it's a great situation, good for you. If it's a horrible situation, bad for you. And you can get pulled right into the dog fight simply by that leash being grabbed by one of the other dogs or just they're tumbling, twisting. And next thing you know, your face is right in there in that dog fight. Well, they can also wrap the leash around your legs and cause the owner to fall and then you get attacked as well. Yeah, it's, it's just all bad. So again, I'm going to advise, I've been there many times. This is not just, I just told about the one scenario, which was kind of funny because Kira ended up with the opposite dog than, than what I had. And I never expected Harry Pig to act like that. <laughs> but I'm telling you, every time I let go of the leash, it was a good decision, a good decision. And then on top of that, you have a four-year-old child. Wow. Again, I have said this over and over and over and over again. As a parent, you have two duties, two that you cannot neglect. One is to provide life-sustaining energy to your child. The other one is to protect it. Protect it. So child comes before hero. At least I hope it does. Not in all scenarios does it. But at least in this one, it did. The mother let go of the leash grabbed her child when she realized, wow, this is out of control. I, I am not going to be able to keep my child safe. And then put her child up on a picnic table. I would have put him up a tree or something at that point there, or I would have just left a scene with my child and just hoped it all worked out at the end of the day there. But she didn't. She screamed for help and there's no one around. But finally, the owners of the dogs, uh, they came running and they were able to get the dog separated and the fight Ended, but still there was a tragedy because the dachshund died before they could get it to the vet hospital. Um, so again, I'm going to advise out there: this ever happens to you, let go of the leash. We child or no that child, every day when we're walking, we walk almost every morning, and every time there are a few dogs on our walk that we know they're not very well controlled by their owners, and we take our little. What do, we, what do we even use, the little belt things? <laughs> uh, <laughs> we don't hold the leashes. Let me kind of preface the story here. <laughs> so when we walk our dogs in the morning, it's a fitness walk. And therefore, we're not really practicing this strict heel. They can go out in front of us as long as they're not pulling us, making our walk uncomfortable or unsafe. And we have utility belts that we strap around our waist with a carabiner. And the carabiner then hooks the leash uh, us to the dog. Well, anytime we encounter certain dogs that we know, we know are reactive, they may attack our dogs, or they did, we always unhook the carabiner. Because again, we don't want to be attached to the dog, should the dog get into a big melee with a, another dog. So we un unhook the carabiner, and if a fight ensues, I'm letting go. All day, every day. So now we have a, a situation that I think needs to be addressed. If we don't have, say, a four-year-old child and we have our dog and just say there's one other dog in the mix that comes and attacks our on-leash dog, we, we've established we're letting go of the leash. Is it then your responsibility to try to break up that fight if you're the only person there or do you just sit and wait for it to, to pit her out? Well, you know, any, there, there have been many studies. One particular, and I don't have that study in front of me today, but done by Texas A&M. Uh, in which they, at the end of the study, when you get to the, all through 
all of the stuff that comes with studies. It basically says that's exactly what you should do. Let go of the leash and then stand by and let it work itself out. Um, it's a hard, difficult decision, but I think you just have to prioritize yourself. What's more important, you or your dog, your livelihood or your dog, your child or your dog? And I think before you even go for a walk, you should have already made that decision. It's uh, kind of like having a will. The, you don't like to talk about it. You don't want to really discuss it, but you need to have one because I have not met anyone yet, yet, because I'm looking at myself, hopefully, that has lived forever. And I don't even know if I want to live forever. <laughs> Trust me. Yeah, it's getting too hot for me. So I might have to exit the planet before it gets too darn hot. But for the most part, you just have to do it. And you need to have this in your mind. You need to have a plan. And again, I'm telling you from years and years of having dogs and many dog fights, and plus I owned a vet hospital, uh, we'd see dogs come in that were injured from dog fights, and 99% of them look and sound horrific, but there's not a tragedy at the end. It's only when you have this incredible power disparity in which we really have tragedies. Otherwise, we may have a couple of holes, we may have a couple of scrapes, and we may have some hurt feelings. But we can all move beyond that. It's only when you have large dog, tiny dog, game over. Pocket knife in a gunfight. And more often than not, when the person tries to break up the dog fight, they are the ones that end up going to the emergency room. Oh, amen. I write about that in my book, The Hammer, Why Dogs Attack Us and How to Prevent It. I write about that all day long. It's the dogs are sitting there looking back at the human who's dripping in blood now on their way to your emergency room. And the dogs are simply licking their blood off. That, that's it. It's amazing. I'm letting go every day. I'm just not going to be a part of that. I can get another dog. I'm going to miss you. I don't want my dog to hurt another dog. But tell you what, it's called an accident. And it should never, a scenario should never happen. And I'm letting go and I'm looking after numero uno at this point here. Call it selfish. Call it what you want to. But that's what I'm going to do. That's what I advise. Um, so that's uh, that was the case there. If you have any questions on that or you have any recommendations or you've had an experience in which you've encountered that same scenario, you have your dog on leash, but now all of a sudden here comes a dog off the leash, let us know. We'll be glad to add it to a future show and talk about it a little bit more in depth. Okay, guys, we're going to go ahead and take a short break because we have a lot of questions today. And as always, we have good questions. Um, man, people don't write us and ask us just the basic fundamental questions. We well, get to pretty good ones. They get deep. Yeah, they do get deep. And I like that. Maybe it's because we encourage those deep questions. So we're going to take a two-minute break. And then when we come back, we're going to dive in those questions. So hang in there. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. After years of waiting, there's a radio show for shotgunning enthusiasts worldwide. Tune into Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation for the very best in wing and clay shooting talk. Join Marty and his guests as they bring you hunting and shooting information that you can use. So whether you're a beginner or a seasoned pro, this show can be your go-to source for wing and clay shooting information. Listen live every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific for Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Taming the Wild and Your Dog. To reach the program today, send an email to brian at tamingthewild.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. We were talking before the break uh, about a situation occurred in which a mother and a four-year-old child were walking their dog, Hero, and it was attacked by three other dogs. Hero was unleashed. The other three dogs were off-leashed. They attacked. Uh, the aggression escalated, and one of the attacking dogs, a dachshund, was killed. Tragic accident, but we were discussing a little bit during the break, and you brought up a good point, Josh, when that uh, we talked about, hey, if this happens to you, just let go of your leash. But even thinking many steps ahead of that, uh, we both, uh, we have all have uh, caused dog fights not to occur because as soon as we sense that that situation could happen, we downed our dogs. We just made them lie down, down. And by doing that, we took them out of the situations, kind of like throwing in the white towel right off the bat. Uh, animals get that. In order for you to attack me back or even to run from me, you have to be on your feet. But if you're lying down, it's almost like an involuntary uncle. Yeah. I don't want to have any part of this. So that would be something that you could do as well. I always say the down is one of my favorite commands because not only are you controlling your dog, but in a, in a way you're controlling the environment around your dog. I mean, it, it controls the, the emotions and the intentions of the animals around your dog when it's lying down. Yeah, there's there's nothing. We it's probably definitely used, my favorite command. Yeah, we anyone that's owned dogs for a length of time, if they ever taught their dog to do a reliable down, that is the command of, of all commands. All right, Gary, let's get on to some questions here. Gosh, we have so many today. Well, let's I hope do it. that we can get through all of them. Okay, so the first one, I have a rescue dog who is pretty skittish. We have worked through a lot of her issues, but we're having trouble with obedience commands. She sits with no issue, but will not down for anything. I've tried luring, but it isn't working. What am I doing wrong? Well, I was, uh, you know, honestly, that was a coincidence. And I really we're, don't. We're, we're just, just talking, talking about, about down. <laughs> and next thing you know, we have someone saying, I can't down my dog. I hear how great it is. You guys just love it, but I can't get my dog to lay down to save my life. Okay. I always tell people every now and then you have to make a dog do something. It just, it just, it is what it is. Um, I was in a vet hospital here in town recently in which a gentleman was dropping his dog off for daycare. And while I was standing there in the lobby waiting for my dog to be taken back to have their vaccinations, 
uh, this particular dog is a Weimaraner, grabbed a ball. I don't know where the ball had come from. It must have been left on the floor, but it would not let go of that ball. It grabbed it. The owner's yelling, leave it, leave it, leave it, leave it. And there was no leaving happening. So the dog just held on. And then one of the people who worked at this vet hospital walked up and goes, hey, hold on. Let me show you what my what this trainer showed us to do. And she reaches in this jar and grabs out this crusty old dog biscuit. She goes, drop it and you'll get the dog biscuit. Drop it and you'll get the dog biscuit. She goes, if we do this, see, we only reward good behavior. We only reward good behavior. And I said, ma'am, I, you know, I don't mean to interrupt here, but let me just tell you something. That dog has its reward in its mouth. It's called the ball. In other words, the ball is trumping your crusty old dog biscuit all day. And it's going to stay like that. It wants the ball. It doesn't give a hoot about your dog biscuit. So I asked the owner of the dog, he said, may, may I help you with this? He goes, yes. I grabbed the leash. I applied pressure. It just had to be one of those kennel leads in which it compresses a little bit. And I said, drop it. And right then that ball flew out of the dog's mouth, handed the dog back to him. He said, thank you very much. And I just said, yep, every now and then you have to make a dog do something. So I know that's kind of lost upon most dog owners nowadays uh, in, in the all, all positive world. But hey, when you've tried luring and luring is where you take a treat and you use something, some sort of treat or toy to try to pull your dog to the ground and it fails, you, if you really want to accomplish this, you must move on to another technique. And no one think about downing. Even though we love downing as humans, we love to make our dogs lie down, kind of like an off switch in your dog. In the beginning, they don't love it. They don't. You go back to their world, dog world, wolf world. Hey, I lie down on my own all the time to conserve calories. But it's a far cry different when you try to make me lie down. Because when you try to make someone or something lie down, it typically is a response and there's going to be a follow-up, meaning I'm trying to absolutely dominate you and control you. And it can be a wee bit scary for the dog at first. But one of the techniques that we use here quite often is real simple. We first, we make the dog sit. Why? You're halfway there. You got the back half down. All you have to do is get the front half down. And then we attach, you know, the leash is already attached to the dog's collar. Then we run that leash underneath one of our, on the foot, underneath the foot closest to the dog. Now note that. So write that down. Run your leash underneath the foot closest to the dog. Otherwise, you put it underneath your other foot. Should the dog make a sudden movement, you're the one that's going to do the down, not the dog. So save a couple of treats for yourself. But put it underneath the foot closest to the dog, about where the arch of the shoe is. Uh, otherwise, your shoe can become a big break. And basically, you're using just kind of like a pulling method. This is physics 101. We say down, we start to pull up on the leash, which then runs down underneath our foot, back up to the dog, and starts to pull the dog towards the ground. Go slow. I've taken almost two minutes. Joshua, yeah. I saw you do it one time. It, it had been over two minutes. It was kind of like taking a 20-story elevator that moved one floor about every 15, 20 seconds. And you slowly do it, say down, and you can repeat the command, say it over and over again, down, down. Be reassuring, but be firm. Hey, I love you, but you are going to lie down here. And just keep pulling. You can even put your hands on the dog's shoulders. Don't put your hands on the dog's neck. Uh, you don't want to give a bunch of mixed signals there. And you can start to push with one hand, pull with the other hand until the dog lies down. And then when it does, don't cheerlead. 
I know you're happy. A lot of people go, yes, yay, my dog laid down. They cheerlead. Remember, the purpose of downing is to turn your dog off. When mammals go horizontal to the ground, the heart rate tends to slow down and it turns the dog off. So that's kind of like putting a child to bed and then cheerleading. You, you don't want to do that. So you make the dog lie down. And then when it does, when even when I pet it, I pet pushing on it. I give this little subliminal message. Yes, that's it. You're in a, you're in a down. I'm in a down. Life is great. If you want to use a treat, then place it right between the dog's paws. In fact, I will let them take the treat off the ground for about the first 50 downs so that in their mind, hey, downing's cool. First of all, Brian's not going to hurt me. Uh, yeah, we got past that because at first I, I was really worried about it. But man, downing, not only is it comfortable, but there's food down there. It's down there. So give that a shot. We call it the pulley method just for lack of you know, any other term to use. Yeah, and keep in mind that the, each repetition that you do, I mean, on average, that first two to three maybe is that slow that we were talking about. After that, the dog goes, oh, when I feel that pressure, all you want me to do is lie down. That's it. Okay. I got this all day. Yep. And, and after that, they're, they're fine. They, as soon as they feel a little bit of pressure on their, on their neck, then there they go. All, they're already on their way down. Heck, we've seen it to where all of a sudden the sit went away. Yep. Uh, they down you, all the yeah, time. Captain does it. that sometimes. <laughs> yeah. You'll say sit and they'll just lie down. They go, why sit when you can lay down here, pal, and get a treat? Uh, yeah, those first, it's only the first two or three in which you have to get past that instinct that they have because they're worried. They're going, Brian, we're still good, right, buddy? We're, we're still good here, right? Yeah, we're good, buddy. We're good. Just do what I tell you to do here. We'll make it happen. Go real slow, work your dog, and I promise you, oh, there, there's not a dog we can't down. There's not a dog I can't down. Some take a little bit longer than the other ones, but I'm telling you what, I will tell you this. Once they learn it, they love it. And now you need to just make this thing where it'll happen without a thought. You need to take it from explicit memory, that's those first 50 downs that you're doing, all the way to implicit memory where it's done without a thought. And I, I will always argue that the, the method that we're talking about now is always going to be better than luring in most cases because you start out with the idea that with the dog that you will do it. I'll, I'll go at your pace. I'll go in a way in which that you understand, but also the outcome will be you lying down with, with luring. It's kind of up to the dog. Am I hungry at that moment? Or, you know, am I, am I willing to chase that treat all the way to the ground? It with, with the pulley method, you start with obedience from yeah. the very beginning. And, you know, and I, we, we spent a whole show just simply talking about the byproduct of that. Right. When I would make Dax, our big, powerful German shepherd lie down, he would lie down. And part of the reason why he lied down is because if I can make you do this, then I'm more capable of dealing with this off-leash dog that's approaching than you are. So we provide that powerful social support. We, we are there. We are out of both of us, out of us. I, I am more capable of dealing with any threats than you are, dog. But if you can't make your dog do anything, then you are, you're, you're a fraud. You no, you don't, you're not very convincing to the dog. So therefore they will remain on their feet because they don't trust that you can handle the situation. So by making them do it, you prove that you can, they readily lie down and they say, Brian, you got it, right? You got that bully that's approaching over here. Right on, man. I'll just lay here. 
So there's nothing but good things with it, but definitely try the pulley method. And then you can move into just pointing and a little snap on the leash so on and so forth. But that is our foundation for teaching the down. Got it. Okay. My sweet dog is constantly climbing over my fence in the backyard. How do I stop him? <laughs> uh, really easy. Remote training caller, baby. I'm telling you that all day long. And if you're going to do that, then uh, I'm, I'm not going to typically, you know, when we use a remote training caller, you have to go through what we call intended pairing and natural pairing. On a case like that, natural pairing is where you don't say a word. I have nothing to do with that whatsoever. Make the dog think that the fence got it. It was the fence that got me. And it's no different. Maybe you're out in the middle of nowhere and you come across a fence and you want to climb over this fence to get from point A to point B. And you start to do that and come to find out it's, it's been electrified. And you go, yeah, <laughs> oh, I had that happen. I didn't see the little wire. And yep, I, I didn't try to climb back over that fence again. So that's, that's kind of like a one and done. We've done that with many dogs that can scale a fence. Just the, the issue is that I would definitely wait until they had their paws on that fence and they were in the motion of starting to climb. And then from inside the house, I'm just going to press a button right then and there. Uh, so that's one thing that will work. Well, and I've used this exact thing, but with a hole in my fence. I don't know if you guys remember that really big storm that came through a couple months back, maybe two months back, where in the middle of the night, it just it destroyed everything. Mm -hmm. Well, we ended up with a big hole in our fence. I don't know what hit it, but it was about a dog-sized hole. And our dogs decided they were going to go start venturing in the neighbor's yard. And I didn't have the moment and the time to fix the fence at that time. So I needed a quick fix until I had an opportunity to fix the fence. And so the remote caller it was, and I just let the dogs out in the backyard and they go, Hey, I'm going to go back over there and venture and one, two, three dogs. And we never had an issue of them going in the neighbor's <laughs> yard again. And that hole is huge. I mean, it's basically an open gate, but they knew I don't stick my head in that hole. Yeah, they, they're fast learners like that. It, 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 that's a one and done. Another thing that you can do is you can call upon a one of these uh, in-ground uh, electric fences, kind of like an invisible fence type setup, and you can have them run a wire right on the fence itself at the lower part of it, right where the grass is, tack it on there. Then, then you can set the, the field width of that particular wire to be down to literally one foot away from the fence to even four feet. And I would even stop your dog from me getting anywhere near the fence, anywhere near. But I guarantee either one of those will work and it'll be done. And they, will, they won't even attempt to go over the fence. You can have a four foot fence and they're not even going to attempt it. It's done. My three-year-old Doberman is getting more and more aggressive with his six-year-old sister. They start off playing and loving each other, but then something happens and he's viciously biting her. Should I muzzle him? What other options do I have? All right. Well, that's called little brother picking on big sister. You know, it's, it's natural current, simply what we males do type situation there. <laughs> um, the, that situation, well, first of all, just erase the word sister. All right. Um, dogs don't have a sense of brother, sister, any sort of family loyalty with regard to that way I should treat my sister because she is my sister versus another. No, your dog would, would easily treat another female dog or another male dog for all the same reasons. Aggression is very consistent. If I'm going to attack you, I only attack you for really one of three reasons outside of reproduction. And that would be competitive. I want something and I don't want you to have it. Or I'm worried about you 
and you, you're scaring me. And I think that you look like you're about to attack me. So the best defense is good offense. So I attack you first. Our territorial, in which we can kind of rule that out because they're the same dogs living on the same territory. So it's usually one of the first two. Either you're a threat to me, so it's self-defense aggression, or it's competitive. This on the surface, wow, that was not a whole lot to go with. But I, a couple of things I can go with right off the bat. You have one already mature dog that's been mature for over three years now, and that's a six-year-old. But you have an arriving mature dog. Most dogs are not fully adult dogs. In fact, well, they never are in comparison to a wolf. We did that to them. We trapped them in the adolescent stage. That's why they still have the floppy ears and so on and so forth and the extra muscle in their eyelids to make their eyes wider to make you do things for them. We trapped them in the adolescent period, but they won't even reach the outer limits of that until most dogs are two and a half to three years of age, which what does that mean to a wolf? Wolf reaches that at two years of age. That's when you know who and what you are. That's when you have full social awareness, my power, my ability to control other animals within my pack. And then Mother Nature turns on another button called sexual awareness, which says, I think I need you to leave and go make your own cup somewhere else. So again, nature uses dispersing as her number one tool to blunt aggression. I believe in this situation here, you have a arriving dominant male. And again, we've talked about hierarchies. They're there whether you like it or not. And they were there to stop fighting, to blunt aggression, because animals are smart enough to know their place. However, when you have one animal, and the way a hierarchy is supposed to work is the three-year-old is supposed to trounce that, that six-year-old or vice versa 95% of the time, have that other animal squarely underneath their paw. But if it's a 51-49 scenario, or even a basically a 60-40, you have a problem. You have now an unstable hierarchy. And they will keep working that thing until it becomes stable. And that's a problem. That's when I advise in a situation like this, if you're going through a lot of aggression, Using a muzzle? Absolutely not. All you're doing is restraining. You are causing an animal to become very apprehensive. It's kind of like me dropping you off, Kira, in a bad part of town, and I handcuffed you. You don't even have your ability to use what little weapons you have. Uh, you, you take that away from the animal. So that's going to cause a lot of issues. Number two, animals can still try to attack and will attack and will attempt to bite even wearing a muzzle. So again, you still have this escalation of, of aggression. You can keep them separated. Yeah, that's one thing to do in the meantime. Yeah, no physical contact, none, Zippo. Now you're a zookeeper. But at the end of the day, I need you to think about this. What is it like, especially for the six-year-old, what is it like that every breathing moment of your life, you know that there's another dog who will attack you in a second? What is that like? Put yourself in that situation as a human. What if I forced you to live in a household with another human that would attack you in the blink of an eye? And you sometimes can't even figure out what the heck was it for? What is that like? There is a reason why nature uses dispersing. I would highly recommend, as painful as it is, that you put yourself in the backseat and, and just do the right thing. Do it for the sake of the dogs. I would rehome one of these dogs. Someone would go live somewhere else. Then it's no problem. Otherwise, you are kind of like the scenario that we talked about in the beginning of the show. 
Yeah, you put one in a crate or you put one in a muzzle and you do all this sort of stuff. And next thing you know, the muzzle comes off. And now you have this thing called frustration. Frustration. Oh my gosh. In other words, I would have only bit you at my personal level too. But seeing how I've been wearing this muzzle and I couldn't bite you and you're starting to change your little game. And I think we went from 60-40 to that 51-49% issue here. As soon as that muzzle comes off, I'm going to let you have it. So again, guys, it's only a matter of time. The muzzle will come off. The crate will not get latched. The door will not be shut all the way. It's going to happen and it will get worse. And this is only going off of the information that we have. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, if this person were to write back and say, oh, I forgot to mention it's only around the dog bed outside or it's only around a certain toy or whatever, well then yeah, put, put the toy away. Don't let the dogs have toys or bones or anything together and then problem solved. But just based off of what's going on here, it definitely seems like it would be a reoccurring issue. Yeah. You know, and sometimes, you know, I tell people competitive aggression is the number one reason for aggression, but sometimes it's hard to remove all the competitive stuff. Meaning I've seen dogs that would fight over who goes out the door first, something as simple as that, or just a position on the sofa. It used to be on the end of that 10-foot sofa, but now it's dead smack in the middle of it. Then they'll even fight over a human. It's very difficult to remove all the competitive scenarios that, that could arise. And again, the obvious, obvious ones are the food, the toys, the bones, the beds. But outside of that, if you have a hierarchical situation, you have two very close competitors, and it must be because otherwise, you let this three-year-old trounce that six-year-old a couple of times. Well, most six-year-olds kind of get it and they go, okay, I'm good here. I'm not going to do anything to create a situation which you trounce me again. So the fact that this thing just keeps reoccurring over and over and over again means you have a six-year-old going, okay, I may be six, but I still got it. I still got a little bit of it in me. So you, you have a really, a, what we call a principle of resemblance type condition. And just again, based upon what we have, that's difficult. I would highly, highly recommend rehoming one of the dogs. You know, again, even you go into, well, what happens when the human tries to break up the fight? And it's just downhill from there. Up. Yeah. Can I ask you a question about the muzzle? Yep. So you never want people to put their dogs in muzzles, even when we have a really aggressive evaluation that I've scheduled and the dog owner says, okay, well, I'm nervous about bringing them in, but I'll go ahead and bring them in the muzzle. And I say, nope, he doesn't want that. They're like, what? He doesn't want that. That's crazy. Why? It's all about controlling the stress response. That is the key to everything. It really is. It's, it is the holy grail. And it is the one thing that most trainers and definitely most dog owners Never think about. It's about keeping you have basically three emotional states, a calm zone, an aroused zone, and then a reactive slash panic zone. And the higher you go up that column, the faster that heart beats, the more oxygen you're circulating through your body, the more release there is of glucose, the more release there is of glucocorticoids, you name it, you will reach a physical state. And this is what you need to hear, a physical state. That will then cause you not to be able to focus. Focus. You now move into autopilot. It, it, it's simple as that. It, it was put there. It's an antiquated system. It still has not evolved yet enough to deal with the dynamic stressors of modern life. 
dogs having to live with humans, a being that they were never really designed to live with, not when nature created the, the animal that the wolf and the dog both evolved from. But nevertheless, they're there. And it also wasn't designed for us humans to have to deal with traffic jams, with uh, broken relationships, with not getting a promotion, letters from the IRS, and so on and so forth. But they're there. This system was there to do two things, allow you to escape from an animal or to catch and kill an animal. That's it. And it came about millions of years ago, and it's still pretty much in that state. So you bring a dog to see Brian wearing a muzzle. Guess where you think that animal is? It does not know where it is. It has no predictive information. So therefore, it's going to immediately seek out the rules of prediction. And then what can I do to control what's going to happen here? How can I control this? I don't know who this guy is. I don't know where this building is. I'm already up, up, up. I'm probably three quarters away through my arousal call. Now slap a muzzle on the dog and guess what's going to happen? They're through the roof. Yep. I've lost them. I can't even evaluate the animal. You can't say anything to it that'll make sense to the animal. Now, I, again, I did own a vet hospital and I had people who were not trained behaviors. They were truly not. They were veterinarians and they were vet techs. So to just keep them, it's one of those where, okay, dog, tell you what, you only come here once a year, just once a year. You just got to get those darn shots. So muzzle them up. Get them in here in a real hurry. Let's get it over. It's kind of like yanking a Band-Aid off in a real hurry. Poke, 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 poke. Look, look, look at the eyeballs here. Squirt that up the nose there, and you're out of here. Game over. Uh, same thing with you tranquilizing them. Same thing. When we would do this to wolves, draw their blood, we'd dart them. They would be tranquilized. They're laying there. They're breathing on their own. They're looking at, at us, but they're not seeing us. We did not want them to consolidate any memory of us being there. So therefore, when this wears off or we do give a reversal, you come around, you're going, dang, my butt hurts. You know, and what's this taste in my mouth and all sorts of stuff like that. And who shaved my leg? It's, um, yeah, they didn't know. and We didn't want them to know. So that's why I'm just not a huge fan of muzzles. Makes sense. Okay. I just started clicker training and I'm wondering why I have to carry this thing around with me all the time. What are the pros and cons of clicking with my tongue versus using a clicker? Joshua, you are all over that marking stuff. Yeah. So, uh, and not the raised leg urination type marking. Right, 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 right. No, the, I'm the, over all over that too, but that's not what we're talking about. Yeah, but you and I can't be doing that all day long. Yeah. Let me put my business card on top of yours. Um, take it, man. Well, they mentioned one con, that's for sure, is carrying that thing around. So, uh, my I would say that, my expertise in training started with the marker system. I mean, that's what I used was markers. Okay. So I had markers for, for good behavior. I had markers for bad behavior. I had markers for neutral behavior. So what's a marker? Explain for a marker for someone who's going, what the heck is a marker? And they're thinking this crayon thing that you use right on. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, so a marker is something that is going to mark a moment in time for the dog to be able to draw an association to their behavior whether you want to associate it with a reward or whether you want to associate it with a no reward or whether you want to associate it with a punishment. So um, it's a way in which that your timing can be extremely consistent without having to deliver a reward within a fraction of a second to the dog um, at the time of the behavior happening. So you can use a marker like a clicker. You can use a marker like your voice or even people use their own tongue to click like that. Um, and I think the question was, what is the pros and cons of the clicker, correct? Or the tongue. Or tongue the tongue. Or the tongue versus, versus clicker. Yeah. yeah. So the, they mentioned one con of the, of the clicker, which is simply having to carry it around with you. I mean, 
period. I, I don't know of a whole lot of people that that's practical for, especially clients. I mean, half the time you're going, when you tell them your dog has to be on the leash at all times inside your house until we say otherwise, they go, what? I can't imagine saying, okay, the dog has to be on leash and you have to carry this clicker around. <laughs> and you have to click it. Yeah, and you have to click it. Right yeah. Then. <laughs> yeah, so that's very overwhelming for a lot of clients. But just from a trainer's perspective, I know very few trainers that want to commit to that. So, um, and if you don't have that thing in your in your hand, underneath your thumb, ready to click at every good behavior, then your timing's not, I mean, the purpose of having the clicker in the first place is no longer relevant because you're not that fast with the timing. So I'm not a huge fan on clickers, period. I just, I, I never have been. I've, I've never recommended them to anybody. Some people seem to do well with them. I, I don't, and I've never seen a practical use for them. But as far as the, the mouth click, one benefit for that is you always have it with you. It's always ready and present. So unless you're having a bad, bad day and you, I don't know, have a sore in your tongue or something, then, <laughs> then you've always got it. So or you got a stud in there yeah, or, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Um, so the, your ability to mark those behaviors at the time in which they happen are going to be a lot more consistent. I'd say one con with that, with using your mouth or any type of, of um, noise that you make with your mouth, whether it's a word or that click is that if, unless you're extremely consistent at making the same noise over and over again, then it won't be stereotyped, which then means that your your signal that you're giving to the dog may not have as much meaning as it did the day before because your click isn't the same. Um, so when I used to do this, I had a very stereotyped uh, marker that I used, which was the word yes. So I would I would stereotype that word, and I actually literally practiced it outside of training of just saying the word yes in the same way every single time to be able to stereotype that that marker. Yeah. You know, when we were even here, we have uh, new trainers and people come in to learn some training with us. You'll hear them go, heel, down, sit, you know, everything, stay. And the problem with that is that becomes part of the signal. That becomes part of sit. That becomes part of down. That becomes part of stay. So next thing you know, when you don't add that to the command, so the owner takes the dog home and doesn't go stay. The dog doesn't do the behavior. There's a high likelihood it may not. It may be confused and say, I'm missing part of the signal. Mm. Kind of like, again, jogging down a, a path and there's a red light and a tree. All right, is that going to make you stop? No. But again, if you were jogging and the red light was suspended over a street with cars in it, uh, then you'd probably stop and make sure that the, you had the pedestrian be able to go sign. So again, it's all about signal suites and grouping signals together so that as a whole, they become part of my influence to you, trying to influence your response. And that was, that was my biggest con yeah. with it was that it just some, it becomes part of the signal. Whatever happened to, hey, well done. Way to go. That was awesome. How about just being genuine, being you? Did you know your dog can determine your sound? your voice from a million others. Gosh, you know, sometimes we give them so much credit. We make them much smarter than what they actually are. And then we turn right around and make them stupid. Mm -hmm. No, they can tell it. Tell your dog was genuine. It's kind of like, you know, when we raise our kids, Kira, we tell them, you know, you never have to earn my affection. You're my child. But you do, by golly, have to earn our approval. Let a dog know that. Hey, I'll give you a free pet. It's on me, man, because I love you. However, you need to do that set. You need to do that down. You need to earn my approval. I love being intimate. I want my dog to know when I am genuinely happy with this. 
And I want them to know in a split second, oops, I, I think I, I think I screwed up. Yes, you did. That's what I want. No instable hierarchies. None. So be careful about these clickers and using your tongue and all that sort of stuff. I'm just not a big fan of it. There is a there is a, a a proper way to use it, but if it's not being used properly, then it's actually counterintuitive of what you're trying to get done. Yeah, I think it's just making things too complex. Keep it simple, stupid rule, and be keep and keep it intimate. All right. Well, Carol, guess what? We ran out of time again. We always seem to run out of time. I'm sorry. We get a little bit deep in these questions. We but have two more questions and one that came in on Facebook. Oh, gosh. Okay. We'll get them next week. I promise we'll go over these questions next week and we will get through them. Also next week, believe it or not, hey, we've had people asking a lot of grooming questions. Maybe because it's wintertime. I don't know. But there are a lot of grooming questions. So we're going to go over groomer, grooming. And actually, I did grooming for two years. I'm not afraid to admit it. I had a groomer that had to leave. She had preg- She got pregnant, had a child. How dare her? Uh, but so I had to fill in. So anyway, next week we'll be talking about that and we'll be answering these questions. Until then, I hope you guys all have a happy Thanksgiving. Safe travels wherever you're going. See you next week. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join host Brian Bailey again for another edition of Taming the Wild and Your Dog next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your dog's welfare and your life may depend on it.